That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think you broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone, welcome to the final HIAC Talk Radio of the year. I am here. Craig is here. And we're just going to have a sort of unplanned, unscheduled, just talking about the past year, how we've dealt with COVID and how we're still dealing with COVID and how we're on a spike and what that's going to do to wrestling. I don't know. And we're going to do the last historian of the year. We have a lot to say, though. Um, So, yeah, we've gone from no crowds to major crowds to possibly no crowds beginning i don't think we're gonna go back to no crowds but um yeah that big royal rumbles in in question now huh it is indeed dan and even more in question is uh 2022's wrestlemania because it's being held in dallas in the huge multi-stadium uh that seats that has over a hundred thousand seats and get this, they're having trouble filling the venue because they're going with the novel idea, which they did last year, which may have even been a mistake in a COVID situation, but they're having WrestleMania day one and day two, and they're having major difficulties selling out or selling any tickets for this because they're, they're introducing packages that if you buy two you get two free so they're practically giving away tickets because what you're doing even and i'm saying this even if this was 1998 at when wrestling was at its zenith you're asking to fill an uh the same arena two days in a row and this isn't the mid-south coliseum this is a 100,000 seat stadium which is an up again if this was this was 1998 even if this was 1975 and wrestling was the third most popular spectator sport in the country behind baseball and the college football asking fans to come back two days in a row to fill out to in the same stadium is a, a herculean task to put it mildly so, um, yeah, so Royal Rumble doesn't surprise me that they're having trouble with that. But I think WrestleMania, they might have to do the whole WrestleMania 8 thing and change venues um, with a uh, different uh, angle for that. I, I wonder what message, I wonder when uh, Vince and company will get the message. Uh, they won't. If it's Vince, they won't. Because... You know, the buck stops with him. He makes final decisions on everything, which is why the product is as bad as it is right now, uh, because it's whatever makes Vince happy. But obviously he sees no problem. You know, uh, he's not going to he's not going to blink because he still feels like he can sell out 
WrestleMania two days in a row in the same stadium. Um, never mind, you don't have any current stars right now that could fill a stadium. You know, we we've talked about you know the the Texas Stadium card with Kerry and and Ric Flair in 1984 coming on the heels of of David Von Erich's death. You had a match that needed the stadium. I mean, you got 44,000 in Texas Stadium because that was a match that needed a stadium, and that was the North American record for the longest time. Everyone after every Texas Stadium card after that, um, you had a stadium that needed a match, and they didn't have any matches that could fill that. The WWE product right now doesn't have any matches that would fill a stadium. Um, regardless of how good a job that they're doing with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and that is the most um, attractive storyline in in either federation uh, that would get fans watching. Um, whether you can get 100,000 people to see that, it's another question. But And if you're, if you're giving it away on the, on the January 1st, on the first day pay-per-view, uh, how are you going to stretch that to March? Um, it's another story. And again, that's all you've got. You know, you've, you've got Brock and, and Roman, and then what else? You know, we've, I've mentioned on this, we've mentioned on this very podcast, when, you know, in regards to the, uh, the exodus of WWE stars going to, um, to AEW, how the WWE doesn't have any bullets left. We, you know, in, in 96, when Hall, Hogan Hall and Nash uh, left, WWE had Austin, Rock, still had Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. You had Mick Foley. You had Undertaker. You had bullets. WWE has no bullets right now. At the end of November, it looked like that they had sold 75,000 tickets, but that's for two nights. So only 37,500 for both nights each. Okay. And that's 37 out of 100,000. Yeah. All right. I, it might be a time to change a venue. Again, 37,500 fans, nothing to sneeze at. That would be a record right now in either company. But in 100,000 stadium, it doesn't look good. I don't even know where you would move that at this point. If you're going to stay in Dallas, you can go to Reunion Arena or you can go where, where, wherever the Mavericks play or wherever the Stars play. Yeah, I was going to say Reunion Arena's gone. It would be the Continental Airlines um, Continental or American Airlines Arena. Okay. I think. Yeah. So that really gave me good. But again, I mean, it, it's December and excuse me, WrestleMania is until April. So, you we'll know, see. Yeah, because there's a lot going on. You know, we got the COVID surge and, you know, we're going to have to get that back down again. And, uh, you know, events are getting postponed. So there's going to be a, a couple changes coming. But, yeah, I in general, I think we'll be all right. We just got to stay safe, everybody. But as far as wrestling, I don't know. So where do you think? I, let's talk AEW for a second. Okay. Let's talk AEW. I know. I will. I would catch slack for this, and I don't care. I really feel they're still coasting. Yeah. Um. I. <laughs> I. 
I really don't know how to say this. I really, really love. I really love wrestling. I really do. Good. I want to see it get better, but I don't think the golden era is ever coming back. And I don't think anything any one of the other company does uh-huh. is going to pop the territory, air quotes. I really think that this is it, that we're at the height of it. I don't think anybody's going to put anybody out of business. I, I don't think that anybody's going to falter or fail. I think it's just going to be a back and forth thing for a long time. I, and that's fine. I'm good with uh, not having, I'm good with having two, you know, two major choices, but I, I think this is it for a while. Okay. You know, the, the talk about who's going to make it, who isn't is silly. Uh, at least in the next year anyway, unless there's a major, major problem with either company. But I don't see the WWE getting anybody or doing anything that would pump them back up like, you know, DX or Austin and The Rock. And I don't really see that on vice versa, the other side. And that's not a slight at the talent in my, from my point of view. I just don't think anybody's coming back in droves anymore. There's so much out there. There's more access to indie wrestling which is arguably sometimes, which is arguably a better product on most nights. I think this is it. I think this is the status quo for a little while. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, I agree uh, with you in, in regards to that I don't see anything on the, on the horizon that would change anything. <clears throat> but I, I remember saying the same thing in 1994. I thought when wrestling was at its lowest then at that point, this is before there was the Monday Night Raw, before there was primetime wrestling on TV, I thought, well, this is going to be as good as it gets because I don't see anything happening that's going to change anything. But, you know, before the era of guaranteed contracts and you saw wrestlers from one federation showing up at someplace else and next thing you know, the game changed, and the and the fans that were kids when Hogan was telling them to eat your prayers, say your vine, because now they're grown up and they want a more adult-oriented show. And next thing you know, there's an attitude era, and there's crotch chops, and you know more R-rated stuff and more uh, adult humor stuff, and in puppies and everything else and the next thing you know viewership is going up and people are talking about wrestling the next day hey did you see what that guy did on uh on raw the other night or like sable came out she had handprints on her boobs no yeah and at four years after i said that by 98 we're we're rolling again record numbers Thirty-five thousand. you just said thirty-seven thousand. Tickets were in, in Dallas. They did that in the Georgia Dome to watch Goldberg and Hogan. You know, that was a Monday night show for free. They gave that away. But that's how big it was. I'm not saying it can happen again. I don't see right now what would cause a needle to turn. I mean, the biggest thing that happened this year, and this is our year end review, our year end special here on HIAC Talk Radio. 
August 20th of this year was the biggest date or the biggest happening in wrestling that I've seen. And I can't even remember the last time it was appointment television. CM Punk returning to professional wrestling in his hometown of Chicago. Um, you can, even watching it on YouTube right now it still gives me goosebumps. But that's, but, but even that, it, that seemed like a lifetime ago. And now CM Punk's just another wrestler on, on AEW now. Is it because they use him too much? Or it's because, as Punk says, he wants to he wants to wrestle. He wants to come back and prove himself and go up against the young guys. But now you've diluted that. And the only thing on AEW's roster that could move the needle um, would be Punk versus uh, Punk versus Danielson. And but that's not even on a level of a of a Brock versus Roman. But that's your big ticket match right now for AEW. Maybe a year from now, you could do that. But even that, how is that, is that going to get fans turning, tuning in again? AEW, their biggest achievement right now is cracking a million viewers. One million. And I talked about it on this story and we were averaging eight or nine a week or twice a week. For their shows now, AEW gets one million viewers, and they're puffing their chest like they like they've accomplished like their actual competition. Now, I don't see where it's going, Dan. I wrestling has always gone in ebbs and flows, and we've both been around long enough to see that to see that trend. I don't know where the the uh, the peak is coming. We've got the we were in the valley. We've been in the valley. I. You'd say for the last 10 years, I don't know where we're going to get another peak. I mean, let me say, I hope I'm wrong. I do too. Yeah, I hope I'm 100% wrong. Because we love wrestling. We want to see it succeed. And we want to see new stars. And we want to see, you know, people that would get fans interested. Somebody that will people will pay to see. Either pay to cheer or pay to see to get, get their ass kicked. We don't have any of that. I pay to see MJF get his ass kicked every day. He's a Roddy Piper of this generation, but if you don't have a uh, Roddy, he doesn't have a Hulk Hogan right now. And if and if MJF ever came to the WWE, I just I'm I shudder to think what they do to him. I'm frightened to death. You shudder. I'm frightened to death what they would do to that guy. You know, if they were it, Dan, if they were going to cut Adam Pate, Adam Cole's hair, or make him a manager, I have no a manager for Keith Lee. I have no idea what they would do for him to MJF, a guy that can talk like that and perform in the ring, and he's only twenty five. <laughs> well, I mean, let's get to the the moment of the year. I think because this is the unspect unspect. Unspectacular <laughs> year-end review. Uh, moment of the year, CM Punk coming back to wrestling. You never say never, even with Bret Hart. You say never say never with CM Punk, uh, the chills, the goosebumps. I know there's a lot of people that don't like him. Um, this moment's not for you. This is for me. Um, incredible. Other than, you know, the first match back with a full crowd, WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, that's 
moment of the year. Incredible. Never thought I'd see it happen, and it actually did. And they did exactly what they were supposed to, at least as far as night one goes, where he doesn't do anything but just talk and just feed off the crowd. I haven't heard that noise since in wrestling. Um, and just a PS before I get your thoughts on it. I'm okay with him being uh, just a normal part. Of, if that's what he wants, then he wants to be a normal part of the roster. I'm cool with that. But if they don't move on, excuse me, if they don't move on uh, Danielson and Punk soon, I'm going to be real upset. But anyway, moment of the year for you, I'm assuming is the same thing. It's the same thing. Um, uh, that was a great, just a stellar moment in uh, professional wrestling. I mean, it made national news. It was something that um, even casual fans were were interested in. Uh, just because the name CM Punk still means a lot, even to people that stop wrestling, that stop watching wrestling, I should say. And as we can see by the numbers, people stopped watching wrestling a long time ago. Uh, but they came back for uh, for Punk. Um, I'm trying to think of another. Um, uh, Brock coming back uh, was a was a big deal, uh, especially with that hairdo. Um, I call him Klondike Brock now because I don't know what the hell he's wearing. Um, if he's a a butcher or he's a lumberjack and he's okay. I don't know. Obviously I'm not going to Brock and wear whatever he wants, but I'm not going to stop me from making fun of him. But uh, yeah, the biggest thing in wrestling has been the the returns. I would say the one hour draw that, uh, that just occurred last week between Brian Danielson and Adam page was uh, very refreshing. I'll put that over the uh, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega one hour draw. Um, but those are the only two one-hour draws that have been in on a primetime wrestling show since the days of WCW um, and or even NWA. And that's saying something for her, for actual wrestling fans. That was a, a, a great, uh, refreshing change to have a one-hour match between two guys that can really go. And regardless of what I think of Kenny Omega, which isn't a lot, um, he did a... He did an amazing job. I think his, I think Danielson's match with Page was better, but that's because the common denominator is Brian Danielson. Um, he could get a great match out of both of those guys, and that that's a credit to him. I honestly want to keep Danielson and Punk apart right now for maybe again for another year because uh, Punk. Uh, well, Punk's got to do is deal with MGF now. They got to. So that, that was a fantastic promo. I finally went, I texted you. I went back and watched it. Damn. Yes. That was another great moment between those two. And uh, they've got so much more to go and so much more to do. And you can stretch that out, you know, and watch MJF go over. And that's going to, if MJF give Punk's his, Punk his first loss, you got a made man right there. You know, it's not going to hurt Punk at all. It's not going to hurt Punk any. And they're just going to make MJF that much better. And potential, you know, big money matches in the future when MJF finally goes for the world title, you know. And if that's a, that's against a Danielson or against a, a Punk for the title. Cool, too. <laughs> yeah, cool, too. Yeah, win-win. Win-win-win. 
but I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling, you know, Dan, this is a year end special. I actually was going to go back. I was going to Google what happened in wrestling this year, because for the life of me, I don't have anything that, that stuck out that, you know, that it's like, Oh yeah. Outside of punk, obviously. Edge's return. Ed, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, well, that was 2020. Yeah. It's the old was, that, it, was that 2020 or the beginning of 2021? Now I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's been back for a year. Yeah. For more than a year. Mm. Yeah. See, this is why I was trying to avoid dead air. Yeah, dead air. I mean, there's nothing to talk about. It was a, it was a, it was fine. <laughs> It was fine. I'm sure. Like, with pro wrestling, I'm sure you did your best. Yeah, you did. You did your best. Bless you. your heart. Yes. Bless your goddamn heart. Bless your peepick heart. <sighs> um, I will say this. Just a little personal PS to the end of this. Uh-huh. As a stinger, as a little stinger growing up. Yes, yes. How we feel about him anywhere near a main event status aside. It warms the cockles of my heart. I know you're shaking your head. I know you're going to completely disagree with me. <laughs> to see him on the fringe, on posters, and on this TV show still performing. Knowing that he isn't being used too much, in my opinion. He really is the B plot to Darby Allen. My problem, my personal issues with Darby Allen aside, which stretch beyond wrestling, it's nice mm-hmm. to see the little stinger is still needed, or stinger still needed. Just wanted to throw that out. Thank you for throwing it, Dan. I will throw it right back to you. Ouch. Please. Well, I'll throw it right back out to you and say, let's just do a quick one this week. It's wrestling historian time. It is wrestling historian time, and um, most of this stuff belongs in the museum. Not unlike Steve Borden, folks. <laughs> Just want to remind all the little stingers out there that still carry a torch for the painted one. He's 62. Is he 62? 60- I take back everything I said. Years I don't. old. I'm kidding. And that's fine, and all well and dandy, but. I don't want to see Dr. J in the, on the court either. Always no, gonna, you're right. Yeah, no, that's a bad idea. It's going to be my favorite. Never better. FMJ, all of LeBron, um, Dr. J all day, all night, and twice on Sunday. But don't want to see him on the court right now. That would be a mistake. Um, but as much as I love going back and, and regaling tales of a Surfer, boxed haircut, blonde, beating chest, painted face, neon tights, stinger. Fringe coming out of the ass. Whoa! The ass. Former one half of the Blade Runners. We're going to go back several years. We're not talking about that. We don't talk about that. Advent of the Blade Runners. Back when there was wrestling in all 50 states. Packed. You didn't have to worry about day ones and day twos. Because every stadium, coliseum, high school gymnasium, rec center was filled to capacity with pro wrestling fans. And if you missed the show because there was no cable TV, somebody had would have taped it. And you can trade those tapes 
on VCR, VHS, or Betamax. Badash, yes. <laughs> so funny. It did exist. <laughs> I knew I was going to confuse her with that one. Sorry, Badash. Betamax, what's that like? It's it's like the HD DVD Blu-ray battle, but worse. Anyway. Yeah. Much, much worse. But back then, that's where we got our wrestling. We had to trade tapes with other people from different countries or different, like different countries, different cities, different states. Well, that, that too. Sure. That had wrestling. If I lived in Philly, I knew all the WWF. But if I knew someone in St. Louis, the capital of professional wrestling back in the 70s, they could send me tapes from wrestling at the keel or the checker dome, wrestling at the chase. And that's what made wrestling wrestling. This, gentlemen and ladies, is the final book in the year of our Lord 2021 wrestling historian. Uh, we're going to go back to December 17th, 1979. Madison Square Garden. Huge. Huge card with big ramifications, Dan. Uh, back when wrestling was a, uh, a shared community and in Haven, like Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the country, where you could have, where every month it seemed you never knew what could happen because in Madison Square Garden, just like in St. Louis or just like in Toronto, you could have wrestlers from different federations even different world champions show up. And on this fateful card, December 17, 1979, uh, there was a slew of championship ramifications. See, on November 20th of that same year, Dan, uh, Bob Backlund was on the Bob Backlund, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, was on tour in Japan. And he had a match against Antonio Inoki, where Antonio Inoki pinned Bob Backlund. And was awarded the WWF Heavyweight Championship. This title change was never recognized in the United States. And only now, just I've seen on YouTube, does that match even exist on, on film that you can actually see it? Oh, it's out there, though. It is out there. Oh, I got to watch it. He pinned Bob Backlund, but Bob Backlund, who always kicked out of two whenever he was pinned, and that was his... Um, his side of the story that he had kicked out, but the man, the referee's hand came down and Inoki was awarded the WWF belt. Now, Bob Backlund returned to the United States, still recognized as the World Wrestling Federation champion, but in Japan, Japan had other ideas and they still saw Inoki as the uh, WWF champion. The president of the WWF at that time was Hisashi Shinma, who had a close relationship with Antonio Winoki in New Japan. It was not uh, Willie Gilsenberg. It was not Frank Tunney. It was Hisashi Shinma. So in order to appease both Inoki and Backlund, they would have a match in Madison Square Garden on December 17, 1979, for different championships. So Bob Backlund would go up against Bobby Duncan. Bob Backlund would win that bout and be crowned the WWF heavyweight champion. Even though 
it uh, wasn't billed as a title match. Before the bout, the he Bob Backlund didn't come into the ring with the belt, but after he beat Bob Bobby Duncan, who was not a world champion, he was awarded the belt. On that same card, Antonio Noki defeated the great Hussein Arab, who you all know as the Iron Sheik. When he defeated him, Antonio Inoki was awarded the National Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, which was the number one title in Japan at that time. So Bob Backlund beat Bobby Duncan and was awarded the WWF Heavyweight Championship. And Antonio Inoki beat the Iron Sheik and he was awarded his World Heavyweight Championship. So both guys got a win against someone else and both claim their world championships. Wow. So that's how they got, that's how Backlund got his championship back, even though he claims he never lost. That's how Anoki was appeased as he was being, he was a world champion. Uh, See that Charlie Kelly um, crime board of him trying to figure out, trying to get this to, all right, how do we make everybody happy? Go over here and, but on that same card, Dan, and that oh, Jesus, card, there's more. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes uh, was looking to regain his World Heavyweight Championship. So in Madison Square Garden, Dusty Rhodes wrestled Harley Race for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Nice. And he was even recognized on that on that uh, uh, telecast. On the Madison Square Garden Network, Vince McMahon saying Dusty Rhodes held that same NWA title for five days earlier this summer in August. Now Dusty looking to regain that NWA championship from Harley Race right here in Madison Square Garden. Well, he came up short. The referee stopped about because Dusty had bled too much. Go figure. And Harley Race retained. Shocked, I tell you. The NWA Heavyweight Championship. So he had the Bob Backlund won a world title. Antonio Inoki won a world title. Dusty, Dusty Rhodes lost his bid for the NWA championship. And if that wasn't enough, and by God, don't you think it ought to be, Dan? Yes. Yes, I do. Further on down that card, Ted DiBiase would lose uh, his bout to a young man making his Madison Square Garden debut. It's a rough go for Ted DiBiase. Not only did he lose the match, but he also got his nose broke uh, from this youngster making his Madison Square Garden debut, going by the name of the fabulous Hulk Hogan. So it's Ted DiBiase's fault. Obviously. God damn it. But that was all on one card, all on the same card, December, <laughs> December 17th, 1979 in Madison Square Garden. Crazy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You got your money's worth. Exactly. Anytime you went to the garden, man, especially in the seventies, you never know who was going to show up. Somebody from the NWA, somebody from the AWA, Championship Wrestling from Florida, Memphis, world class. You know, you could show up at Von Eric could, could be in Madison Garden. You have no idea. It was all that's, that's insane. Yeah. That's that's insane. And they would have done it in front of a sold out. Massive Square Garden. Yeah. Man. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
you show up in the Madison Square Garden, you're watching your your favorite WWF superstars, and there's Austin Idol. There's Tommy Rich. There's Ric Flair. Wait, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> I've only read about these guys in magazines. Speaking of reading about in uh, magazines or newspapers, uh, December 18th, 1977, we're going to go south, Dan. We're going to go to the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Sold out uh, to see Jerry Lawler try to win the NWA Heavyweight Championship from, again, Harley Race. Um, now, Jerry Lawler, yeah, Jerry Lawler was a heel. And this was... This was the beginning of an angle that has been copied so many times, and it still works. The NWA champion was coming to Memphis and was only going to wrestle once. So he would be wrestling whoever the number one contender was. It just so happened it was a heel, Jerry Lawler, even though other heels like Bill Dundee and Jimmy Valiant thought that they should get a shot at Jerry. But... Harley uh, Race comes to Memphis, goes up against number contender Jerry Lawler, and it's a no disqualification bout. But towards the end of the bout, well, the referee's back was turned. Handsome Jimmy Valiant, again a heel, upset because he didn't get a shot at, Matt, at Jerry Lawler at, at Harley Race for the NWA championship, broke a Coke bottle over the head of the king, causing him to bleed profusely. And had the referee stop the match. Jer- Jerry Lawler was carted off to Methodist Hospital. And even and made the newspapers. And even though the newspapers said that um, the quote from the police were Jerry Lawler's cuts were minor. Because it wasn't a real bottle. What? <laughs> I mean, it was a real bottle. But oh. But okay. that didn't stop the program in the Memphis Wrestling uh, the Memphis wrestling program to say that Jerry suffered severe cuts on the left arm and shoulder that required 17 stitches and deep lacerations over his right eye and several cuts on the top of his head. Never listen to the mainstream media ever. <laughs> but yeah, that, um, uh, that angle made the new, the Memphis newspapers after, um, and he even made the after magazines, how uh, Jerry Lawler uh, had a Coke bottle broken over his head by handsome Jimmy Valiant, and Lawler swore revenge. And that was the, one of the first times that Jerry Lawler turned face and would go on his epic run in Memphis. But yes, two heels were fighting over, you know, who would get a shot at the NWA title. And out of jealousy, Jerry, uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant, Took his revenge on Jerry Lawler, and we start Jerry Lawler on his uh, path to uh, epic popularity throughout Memphis. Oh, so it's Jimmy Valiant's fault. Yeah, it was Jimmy Valiant at uh, and that darn Coke bottle taking names now. <laughs> but that angle would be re- uh, um, repeated over and over again, and even in Memphis uh, again when Jerry Lawler. Uh, Wanted a shot with Ric Flair. Ric Flair was coming to Memphis for only one week. And um, he was only going to wrestle once. And Bill Dundee is when Lawler was a face and so was Bill Dundee. But Bill Dundee was a Southern Heavyweight Champion. And Lawler ended up getting the shot. And what do you know? Bill Dundee attacked Gary Lawler. Instant heel. 
Did it so again. So it's Bill Dundee's fault. Yeah, it's Bill Dundee's fault. In Florida, Ron Bass was a Southern heavyweight champion. Best friends with Dusty Rhodes. Harley Race is coming to town in, for Florida. It's only going to wrestle the number one contender. Ron Bass says, well, I'm a Southern heavyweight champion. I'm ready. Harley Race comes in. I have Dusty Rhodes, you and me, for the NWA champion. And Ron Bass, you get to be the referee. So Ron Bass, a Southern heavyweight champion, watching his best friend, Dusty Rhodes, go against Harley Race. When Harley has is down and Dusty's got the figure four on him, Ron Bass said, well, I have to wait for a referee. I'm the referee. So I'll go to the top rope and jump off in Dusty Rhodes and beat the living snot out of him. Because Why not? I'm the, I'm the Southern heavyweight champion. I'm the number one contender. Why is this guy? So, yeah. So the Fuck tri- Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes. Moving on to December 21st. Um, with that, uh, yesterday, happy belated 30th birthday to Otis, uh, formerly of Heavy Machinery and now currently of the uh, the Gable, the we're Ready, Willing, and Gable team. The uh, You know, I, I shouldn't like them, but I do. I shouldn't like them, and I don't. Um, <laughs> I, there you I, go. At least, I, at least you're batting a thousand. I'm happy that they, gave, they stopped calling Chad Gable Shorty G, which it obviously was a Vince thing. Oh, God, I forgot about that until you mentioned, mentioned it. Uh, but, I, but I'm but i sorry. Uh, Otis, remember how Otis was Money in the Bank winner and how popular he was once upon a time? And people even had the, the, the audacity, the unmitigated gall, the temerity to compare him to Dusty Rhodes. Remember that? How popular he was? Well, all that is gone along with Otis's hair, and that man needs hair. If there was ever a man that needs a beard and a long hair, it is Otis. But that's neither here nor there. Happy belated 30th birthday to Otis. And um, today in wrestling history, that's okay. We'll skip that one. I did that <laughs> one last Okay. Because <laughs> I, I realized this is our last one, Dan. Uh, and for the year, and you know, it's December 22nd now, and not a lot of things happen on December 22nd. Uh, uh, December 23rd, tomorrow, will be the uh, 59th birthday of one of our favorite wrestlers, whom we had the pleasure of watching going up against your favorite wrestler. Happy early 59th birthday to the great Muda. God, I love that guy. Yes, 59th birthday. But, Dan, since it's our last one, and December 22nd, not a lot happened, but a lot of things did happen in history of wrestling on Christmas. Because Christmas, kids, was when wrestling territories had their biggest paydays. Holidays were gold mines for professional wrestling back in the day. You would celebrate with your family, have dinner early, and then you and the kids would go out that night to see a wrestling show. And it was made famous in Mid-Atlantic, but also Texas, world-class in Mid-South at the Superdome, in Memphis, in Tennessee. 
but wrestling on holidays, specifically Christmas, was a big deal. Uh, I mentioned Texas. World class was known for their Christmas cards. They would call them Christmas Star Wars. And I, <laughs> I mentioned the Reunion Arena that happened. I mentioned also the Mid-South. In 1978, on Christmas Day, Andre the Giant and Dusty Rhodes won the Mid-South, or it was called then the NWA Tri-States United States Tag Team Championship. It would be the only title that Andre and Dusty ever held, despite tag teaming across the country. Uh, they defeated the team of, get this, Ernie Ladd and Stan Hansen. <coughs> and on wow. Christmas night, at the Superdome, in front of 16,000 fans, they drew a gate of $78,000, which would be $163,000 in today's money uh, for the Superdome. That was Christmas Day, 1978. And of course, who could forget, Dan, Christmas Day, 1982, Reunion Arena. Now that I know it doesn't exist, it existed back then, 1982, Star Wars, world-class Christmas Star Wars, they called it. The NWA heavyweight champion, Ric Flair, would be defending oh. his belt against Kerry Von Erich. Yeah. Special guest referee. Just debuted one-third of the fabulous Freebirds, Michael, Free P.S. Hayes, and his brother, Terry Gordy, to make sure there'd be no sh shenanigans, unruly hijinks, or offbeat incidents. Terry Gordy would be outside, be the keeper of the key to make sure nothing and no one would get inside. And Flair and Kerry had their match, like they always do. Uh, Michael Hayes, not a referee, even though he didn't have a referee shirt on, just wrestled with this within there with jeans and no shirt. Uh, calling it right down the middle. But when uh, Flair got in Hayes' face, Hayes decked him. And he told Kerry, cover it. Kerry wouldn't do it. Michael said, cover him. Go ahead. I'll count. Go. Gary said, no, he won't do it. At this point, Flair gets up, and Michael Hayes is fed up with both of them, and he's leaving the cage. Gary Gordy opens the cage. Just then, Rick Flair knees Gary in the back. Gary goes flying into Michael Hayes, and Hayes goes flying through the ropes out of the ring. Gary Gordy sees Kerry Von Erich was the last one to hit Michael Hayes. And Kerry Von Erich is outside trying to, to help Michael Hayes, saying he's sorry. And just then, Terry Gordy, unbeknownst to him, would start the single most copied wrestling spot in professional wrestling history. He would slam the door on the head of Kerry Von Erich. And it was almost coming up on the 30th anniversary of that spot. That cage spot not only was the, uh, I'm sorry, 40th anniversary. I apologize. 40th anniversary of yeah, that spot. Yeah, we're much older than that, Craig. I was trying not to think about it, Dan, but yeah, yes, well, we are. 
So not only would that become the most copied wrestling spot in professional wrestling history, but that would start the single greatest feud in world-class history and one of the greatest feuds in the history of professional wrestling, the Von Erichs and the Freebirds would kick off Christmas Day, 1982. For what, good five, six years? Yeah. On and uh, off? Good five years. Um, we uh, All of 1983, we got to see the vintage, all three Freebirds and all three Von Erich brothers, Kevin, Kerry, and David, the whole year of 83. Um, and Christmas Day 1983, Dan, was also big because on that day, Christmas Day 1983, one year after the Freebird Von Erich feud started, um, Michael Hayes lost a Loser League Town match earlier that, that night to Kevin Von Erich. So uh, Ric Flair took his spot in the world-class six-man tag team title match. So Ric Flair, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts going against the three Freebirds. The three um, Von, Von Erichs, yeah. Well, in that bout, David Von Erich pinned Ric Flair. And Flair was uh, enraged, but he said, it's okay. It was a six-man. It doesn't matter. But later on in that card, that wasn't even the main event. Flair was taking Hayes' spot because that was the undercard match. The main event was Ric Flair, NWA champion, going up against David Von Erich in a singles bout. Flair claimed because he'd already wrestled that night in a six-man, the title shouldn't be held up, be put up. And the NWA agreed. But in that main event, David Von Erich pinned Ric Flair in the singles bout. And the week prior, David had pinned Ric Flair on a world-class television show. So David Von Erich had pinned Ric Flair three times, and he twice on the same night, Christmas night, 1983, which was setting up Ric Flair versus David Von Erich for the NWA Heavyweight Championship at Texas Stadium. Again, a match that needed a stadium. Obviously, that never happened. We lost David two months uh, later, almost exactly two months to the day, February 25th, and Kerry would take his spot. But had that, but but the Christmas Day uh, pin David Von Erich pinning Ric Flair is what set up the Parade of Champions the following May in 84. It was pretty clear that David was going to be champion. Oh, yeah. In my eye, just going back and looking at everything, there's at least a run, especially yeah. with how hot World Class was at the time. Uh, you know, we're talking about ratings. You're mentioning eight and nines. Man, World Class was on the Christian network, yeah. and they were getting 11, 12s. So this is big money for wrestling. And it was getting taped out, shipped out to, you know, ESPN and other sports providers over the world, tape traders, all that stuff. Yeah. But like, I, I can't, no words put into how over this company was and how much money was going in there and how much the ratings were that this was inevitable. Yeah. And he never came home from Japan. No. That is another story for another time. 
story for another time and that we've covered uh, quite a bit and we will still cover we'll cover again. Yeah. 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 I, I, you said 30 years and I was like, Oh man, am I only 28? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. No, 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 never run. Uh, Harley race, you know, uh, even said um, he, and he, he said it at the time of David's death and he oh, yeah, said, on the T yeah. Yeah. On the, 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 the tribute thing he said, uh, he had no doubt in his mind that David Van Eric would have been, uh, the NWA champion and just like Kerry was and um, and just like what happened back in the 80s um, as a favor to, to to Fritz who was a former and the president of the NWA just like Dusty's reign was a favor to Eddie Graham a former president of the NWA Tommy Rich's brief reign was for Jim Barnett and all he did for professional wrestling. So you reward your top guys for the in the top territory for what there was. Now, David, though, outside of Dusty and um, Tommy Rich, could definitely have benefited for a long run. That's why people forget when he went to Florida uh, as a heel, uh, that was to see how he would work as a heel because as NWA champion, you're going to go into territories where, and just like when Harley race would go to, um, to Memphis, when he wrestled Jerry Lover, he was a face. And when death, when Harley, whenever Harley wrestled in Kansas city, he was a face. Uh, but going into other territories, we had to be a heel. And that was David's test to go to Florida uh, under Eddie Graham's wing and he performed well as a heel and with Dory Funk Jr., you know, one of Fritz's best friends and, you know, trained by the Funks. Um, but, yeah, our Harley Race was one who said that, yeah, I, there's no doubt that David Von Erich would have been um, an, an NWA champion. He had the, the, the head for it, the business mind, and he had the, um, the best wrestling so know-how. Oh, good. Oh, good. And, Dan, you, you forget, he was 6'9". He was yeah, a big, big dude. Big son bitch. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like we talk about David and Carrie and Kevin. And mm -hmm. Kevin and Carrie were excellent wrestlers. And that is how much better David was. Not yeah. to, just I want to say that to not take away from mm -hmm. Carrie and Kevin. That's how yeah. good David was. Yes. And, and um yeah, still one of the uh, I still mention that to David change wrestling forever because had David not gone um, world class, probably arguably wouldn't have taken the nosedive that it did uh, because his death was such a domino effect um, to that area oh and to the NWA as it was. Because, you know, if not for the, you know, if we had we not lost David Von Eric, there wouldn't have been such a quick, uh, like almost a push to fill that void. Uh, of that super hot baby face, you know, then it was Magnum and then it was very, I mean, they were trying to fill that void yeah. for you. I mean, yeah. you're, you're mentioning the day that changed wrestling forever. And might, people might scoff at that. You know, there could be more than one of those. And in that point, that was one of them, because if he doesn't die, yeah. wrestling changes. Yes. World-class had was already syndicated in more I, markets than the WWF was. I, I just can't fathom that. Like, it changes into if they make it out of the '80s, they change it, and you know, it goes into the '90s, and it completely changes the landscape. That's how big world class was in that little, sh little yeah. steel yeah. building, yeah. and 
Yeah, on the, the corner of Cadence and Industrial. Sportatorium uh, was probably the most famous wrestling arena in the United States because it was a, a, a space built specifically for wrestling. And it was a, it was a dump, no heat, no air conditioning, but you had the greatest athletes in the world going in. You had the biggest feud in all of wrestling happening right there. You had the three hottest baby faces outside of Hulk Hogan that there ever was. Um, you have their rock stars in the biggest state in the country and the biggest market, the biggest territory in the NWA. And world class was so big because of the the of the Von Erichs, their popularity could have eclipsed the NWA. Um, and there's no telling what what and with David gone, had David stayed, you know, there's no telling where the NWA would have gone. And if the belt were put on David, how he would have wrestled in the mid-Atlantic area, in the Carolinas. You know, not only were the rematches with Flair, but against a Ricky Steamboat, against a heel like Greg Valentine, against Roddy Piper, who was still there in the NWA. Um, how their their popularity would have gone to the WWF. I've let people know that if we've hypothesized on this podcast, if Hogan hadn't had stayed in the EWA, what would Vince's backup plan be? He Kerry Von Erich was one, but if David were were alive, it would have been David uh, to come to. He would have made a play for it to come to the WWF. Um, yeah, the you know who I just randomly thought of who Iceman King Parsons. Yeah, he, he was. Okay. No, I was going to say he wrestled in 2018. Wow. Yeah, he's 71. He's still around. I was about to ask you, what about Iceman? Uh, he's still around. He's 70. He's, well, he's 71, so he's semi-retired. But apparently after it was around the time Chris Adams got murdered. Yeah. Which we could argue is probably inevitable. Um, mm-hmm. He had a bad car accident that screwed his back up. So he pulled back a bunch on appearances. But he's still out there. He's still around. That's a guy I'd like to talk to. That is a guy as great as that Heroes of World Class. I'm not talking about the WWE World Class documentary, which is fine. It's a good one. But the independent one that was done called Heroes of World Class, they don't talk to him at all. Well, that's the only... No, I was going to say, he was all over the main event, on and off the entire fucking history of that company, and he's not mentioned. He's not... he's, He's mentioned, but he's not interviewed any where in these documentaries dan i said that when they both came out i said the only thing missing the only person missing from both of these documentaries these both of these incredibly well-made documentaries is iceman because if anyone knows intimately about the comings and goings on of the the popularity of the von erics this is the guy that teamed with the each of the von erics yeah kevin carey in their feud with the Freebirds, he was right in the middle. It was it was Iceman that used that that caused Buddy Roberts to lose his hair, and it was Iceman who was right, teaming yeah. up when um when one of the Von Erics had a had a solo had a singles match against Flair, or going for the the American Heavyweight Championship, the top title in Texas. Iceman would team up with one of the Von Erics to go up against the Freebirds. So, and he was also there uh, after you know when the 
the Von Erichs, you know, sadly, when they had left us, Mike and Chris, when he reformed the Freebirds uh, with Michael, when Michael Hayes turned face and uh, against Terry Gordy. So he was right in the middle of the biggest feud in professional wrestling. And he was the the number two baby face for a while behind the Von Erichs. So if anyone knows these guys, I don't know if they asked him the interview and he turned it down or they just overlooked him altogether. But I mean, Triple H even mentioned him when he was talking about world class and how Iceman he was. He held every goddamn major I, title in that company. It's like, yes. that's just, it just popped in my head. I'm like, wait, why didn't we talk? Maybe he didn't want to talk about it. And that's why my only guess, Dan, because if you're going to do any history of world class, especially in its heyday, you've got to mention Iceman. So it's like a blueprint for what Booker T became later, later on. R- Rudy Poop was Iceman's. Yeah. He, he started that, not The Rock. Yeah, not The Rock. That was, <laughs> that was Iceman King Parsons. And Iceman were always... Sucker, that was, that was Iceman, I believe. I'm sure he got it from somebody earlier him, but that's the first time I ever heard it on old, yeah. you know, old 80s wrestling interviews. And a year end of a year end awards back when they first started giving them in the uh, in the late eighties, early nineties, Iceman would always get top in would we get top interviews. We'll be in the top ten of top interviews. Look him up, see what see if he wants to talk. I wouldn't mind interviewing that guy. No, the yeah, stories. Yeah, of course, the stories. Holy shit! Because again, if anyone knows what was going on at the at the height of the Von Erich's popularity, it was him. He was right there. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. I just, it, okay. as we were talking about all this, I was like, where's Iceman doing all this stuff? But all the, and all those Christmas um, uh, day shows and world class reunion arena, Iceman was on those cards. The Texas, Texas Stadium, off, man. The, the, the Texas Stadium where Kerry Von Eric, Iceman, and, and, well, can't mention his name now, but at the time, uh, Iceman and Buck Zumhoff won the world class tag team titles. Yeah, he's in jail now. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, because he likes his girls young. But um, why is the Marty Jeanette never mind? Yeah, but but uh, but Iceman won the world class tag team title at the in front of forty four thousand people. You know that's how big the card was. That the world class tag team championship was like secondary and this just in folks um we're talking about aw what would move the needle what would breaking news breaking news breaking news debuting and we're in aw right now in the match between adam cole and orange cassidy bobby fish distracts the referee so kyle o'reilly i knew it was going to happen eventually good so there you, you go. You can't, Dan. It's undisputed. Yeah, yeah. it's inevitable. Yeah, I am inevitable. <laughs> oh man, sorry. Anyway, um, David Von Erich was the whole yeah. stepping off point, but yeah, no, David Von Erich would have changed the course of world class if he was still alive, which would have changed the course of wrestling. Going into the late eighties, it, it would have been a completely different landscape. Yes, 
uh, and that, yeah, all of wrestling, not just the NWA, not just world class, but the WWF and the AWA. Yeah, because um, they, a, the world class had always had a, 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 a nice relationship with the AWA. They ran cards in Toronto, the AWA did. So if David Von Erich were NWA champion, he'd be wrestling on AWA cards. And this is 1984, so David Von Erich is still your NWA is your NWA champion, or at some point a major player in the NWA. You would have David Von Erich, um, and the Road Warriors. What could have been? Yeah, but uh, all started Christmas Day. I know, uh, big day in wrestling. Also, big day December 26th. People don't say enough about. The uh, day after, but December twenty sixth, back to Madison Square Garden, Dan. Who? Twenty four thousand five hundred ninety two folks in Madison Square Garden that night. Twenty four thousand five hundred ninety two had no idea, but they were watching that day, December twenty sixth, nineteen eighty three. That would be the last time they'd see Bob Backlund as the WWF Heavyweight Champion. Because he would lose that title to the Iron Sheik in front of 24,500. So it's his fault. His fault. Actually, it was Arnold Scullin's fault. He's the one who threw in the towel. That son of a bitch. But wait, wasn't he world champion again when Nash pinned him? Wasn't that an MSG? That was an MSG, yeah. So that the last time, so it was literally 11 years, uh, 11? Yeah. 12 years later is the next time he. And he'd lose it in eight seconds. Well, thanks, Bob, for your service. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. But, just so uh, you yeah. think uh, screwing people over wasn't is a new thing. Yeah. And the, the uh, <laughs> no, it's 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 very old. But the <laughs> uh, the title change in December 26, nineteen eighty three, of the Iron Sheik defeating Bob Backlund, which it kind of came out of nowhere because I had seen Bob Backlund defeat the Iron Sheik in the Spectrum. Um, a couple months back. But Dan, that title change was a uh, direct result of the WWF unbeknownst to all of the mainstream populace or pretty much anyone that the WWF had already signed Hulk Hogan from the AWA. Wow. That, and we talk about changing wrestling. Yes. Um, almost one month later, uh, January 23rd to be exact wrestling would change forever but um, the uh, they get the belt off of Bob Backlund and back, Backlund in, trapped in the Cobra Clutch never submitted a towel was thrown in by Arnold Skolin the writing was already on the wall um, Hulk Hogan had already had signed with the WWF unbeknownst not only to us but also to Vern Gagne um, and Hulk Hogan was just waiting, biding his time to make his debut. And I told you about Hogan making his debut in Madison Square Garden in December of uh, 1979. Well, his first bout back in Madison Square Garden um, in four years was to win the World Heavyweight Championship. But yeah, Man. started. 
December 26, 1983. All Vince, uh, all um, Vern had to do was just let him go shoot a movie. Uh, let him go. Well, he shot the movie first and then went to the AWA. All Vern had to oh, do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I meant all Vern had. To, yeah, never mind. All Vern had to do was um, tell Hogan, I'm selling shirts with your likeness on it and I'll split the profit. I meant the, the sales thing. I, sales, know, yeah. I got the wrong V. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> That's never happened before. And I'll say Vern Gagne is the only one that can make both of us be on Hulk Hogan's side about anything. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, we could be against Vern Gagne other stuff, but uh, the only time we... I, you know, it's still, pay your pay your talent. Like, come on. Yeah. To, to, it's still a thing to this day. Pay your talent. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, HNP. <laughs> and finally, December 29th. Um, this is, we're not going to be here. We're going to cover it uh, now. December 29th, 1998. Ah, um, uh, yes. <laughs> now, this match took place December 29th, 1998. It wouldn't air until Monday, March 4th, 1999. And thanks to Tony Schiavone, we all knew what was going to happen on that telecast. Because December 26, 1998, Mick Foley would win his very first WWE Heavyweight Championship. And the rest, as you say, is, is history. I, I, I just... Just shut up. <laughs> don't, you don't... Don't poke, don't poke bear. Eric. And that's what you did. I do want to. I want to throw in my own historian because I love talking about this cluster F. Please. Do. Uh, the day before, on December twenty seventh, nineteen ninety eight, from the MCI Center in Washington D.C., WCW, uh, W. Excuse me, WCW Starcade, nineteen ninety eight. The streak stupidly was broken. Yeah. Stupidly was broken by. Uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall hitting Goldberg with a stun gun, knocking him out, still almost kicking out of the jackknife powerbomb to invoke that he was still powerful, but Kevin Nash beat Goldberg to win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, member of the Wolfpack. Now, this would go on to then go further to the finger poke of doom and the fact that, as you said, <laughs> which would lead to the most start the absolute downward trajectory of WCW, which we've said, but it would learn, lead to one of the most channel changing events ever. The next, the next day or in, in January, that next week. Yeah. All interconnected. Yeah. And that Love would re reverse the curse of the, yeah, and would. the yeah, Monday night wars, 84 weeks in a row, 83 weeks in a row, I should say. Uh, I, I just, I still, I, I know people are like, you know, get over it. I mean, I am over it. I'm just like, it makes no sense that Goldberg lost that. No. Not, not the Nash. Not, not that way. And I like Kevin Nash. I yeah. know we are different about Kevin. And, and most of the people I know are like, Kevin. I'm like, yeah, Kevin was great. I, I get it, but I love Kevin. Mm -hmm. But not there. Like, no. I agree with Bobby. He should have been a thousand and no. 2000 and oh, you never beat this man. No, stupid. 
Anyway, yeah. sorry, I just want to check over for a second. No, no, no. I we've been in agreement with that since uh, since it happened. I think that uh, and Goldberg never got that 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 air of invincibility back. As try as the WWE might with trying to reinvoke that, you know, almost twenty three years later, um, doesn't work. Um, it worked then, at, for that time and, and for that time and place, and before the WCW ruined it, like they ruined so many other things and potentially good things. And how they dropped a, the ball on Goldberg a number of times, you know, and Bobby was very vocal about that when it was happening um, back before we knew the uh, uh, the the result when the WCW went to St. Louis. Uh, Goldberg went to a game with uh, to see Mark McGuire. Mark oh, McGuire yeah. rubbed his bat on Goldberg and then went out and hit seventy home runs. That wasn't that could that would, could have been national news. Uh, they talked Goldberg out of appearing on ER, the number one show on television, and they had a character that looked exactly like him, and they called him Cornberg. Why they couldn't? And he played a wrestler, and he was world champion. But why couldn't you have your number one star on the number one network show on television? No, couldn't do that. So Makes yeah, sense, man. That's the number of times that they dropped the ball on uh, on their short sightedness and uh, on particularly Goldberg. So yes, uh, the last week in December was a uh, very telling in wrestling history. A number of incredible events that st- shaped. The course of wrestling that we're still reeling from to this day, uh, and in hopes of getting back to those rarefied numbers that we saw on a routine basis, back to getting twenty four thousand five hundred ninety two people in Madison Square Garden, uh, back to people talking about, "Hey, do you see what happened on the other channel?" and people changing the channel. Ah, that's why. We have this segment, and where we look back, folks, on the glory days. Hard to believe we were in the glory days and we were living them, but apparently they were. Um, and that, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagon, C R A I G L I G E O N S. You can follow me on Twitter, all social media platforms at Daniel ID3. The HISC Talk Radio Network. Go to your smartphone, any podcast app you use. Go to Spotify, type in HISC Talk Radio Network. Like, share, subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your family. Tell everybody. Listen to HISC Talk Radio and the network that is. Uh, And that's it for the year, everyone. Um, We will see you in January. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for tagging along. Bat Ash, Danny. Greg, everybody else who was in. Thank you, Craig, for another great year. And I could not have done it without you. And congratulations on the new computer. <laughs> hey. Hey. Come in, yeah. Good night, everyone. Thank you very much. See you next year. Merry Christmas and happy Kwanzaa. Happy Festivus. Happy holidays. Happy. <laughs>